If you would look back to Isaiah 45, what we read tonight, I just wanted to make a comment. The enemies in chapter 14 of Isaiah 45, verse 14, say in verse 15, Truly you are a God who hides Himself, O God of Israel, Savior. They will be put to shame and even humiliated, all of them. The manufacturer of idols will go away together in humiliation. Israel has been saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will not be put to shame or humiliated to all eternity. That's exactly what we're going to talk about tonight. Last week, we, uh, we traced very, very broadly the um, kingdom that God established on earth as a prototype kingdom, if you will, with Israel. We called it the historical kingdom that God established with Israel at Mount Sinai. That kingdom ended when Ezekiel saw the glory of God leave the temple in Jerusalem. We noted that last week. There has been no kingdom of God upon this earth since then. The prophets in the Old Testament, both those who went into exile with Israel and those who came back to Israel after exile, when God returned Israel to back to the land, they knew that there was no kingdom, even though they were back in the land. The Shekinah glory was not in the temple that Zerubbabel built or that Herod expanded upon. And yet these prophets envisioned a kingdom promised by God that would far surpass the kingdom that God had established in history. Our first task tonight is to see if there is a continuity between that historical kingdom that we looked at last week and the kingdom that the Old Testament prophets envisioned. Is there a continuity between them, between the historical kingdom that God established at Mount Sinai and the kingdom that the Old Testament prophets envisioned? Well, the Old Testament prophets are going to tell us very clearly that there will indeed be a continuity. God's plan is a magnificent, beautiful plan. And it's a plan with continuity. And He's building upon that plan. And the prophets will tell us about that plan tonight. And they will tell us that this kingdom that is coming is connected to the one that was already here and is now gone. There is no kingdom on earth now. There is no theocracy on earth, if you will. But when it is reestablished, it will be a more enhanced kingdom, also existing in time on earth. God planted His historical kingdom. He began it at Mount Sinai. When He establishes His coming kingdom, He will establish it on Mount Zion. It is my thesis, it's my contention, that understanding the the defining characteristics of the kingdom envisioned by the Old Testament prophets is key to understanding the DNA, if we could put it that way, of the kingdom that is coming. And the first thing we want to do is look at the continuity how the Old Testament prophets envisioned this coming kingdom. 
and to see the continuity between the historical kingdom that ended and this coming kingdom. First of all, all the prophets, echoing the words of Deuteronomy 28, warn Israel that God will punish His people for their rebellion and disperse them amongst the Gentile nations. And there's no question that the prophets are talking about the historical kingdom, the nation of Israel. God said, because you have disobeyed my law, I will disperse you among the nations. And all the prophets say that. The prophets promise, however, Israel, that God will protect Israel in all the nations that he sends them to. That there will not cease to be a nation, there will not cease to be a people called Israel. He will protect them. He will take care of them. And, and I have to have you do some work because I've given you some of the references. In order to get a big picture, we're not going to be able to look at all these references because the prophets are full of this, um, of this truth. Uh, so, I, so I'll expect that you, that's a little homework for you. If you'll look up some of these references yourself, and we'll look at some of them. But in order to get a bigger picture, we'll, we will move a little faster. The prophets proclaim, thirdly, that God will restore the nation which he cast out of the land back to the land which he gave her in the first place. So there's no break at all in the continuity of the nation and the people and this coming kingdom. God said, I will disperse you to the nations. God said, I will take care of you in the nations. God said, I will bring you back from the nations to the land that I promised. Same nation. Same historic nation. Number four, the prophets prophesy that Israel will will be granted her ancient rights and privileges in a kingdom that is more glorious than the first one. So obviously there's no break in that continuity. When he brings them back, the kingdom that he will give them this time will be more glorious than the historical kingdom. If you would turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, I think this text is worth slowing down and looking at. Ezekiel chapter 36 and look at verse 11. In speaking with imagery to the land of Palestine, which will support Israel, God says to that land, if you will, and therefore he has Israel in mind, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 11, I will multiply on you, on this land, man and beast, and they will increase and be fruitful. And I will cause you to be inhabited as you were formerly and will treat you better than at the first. It's going to be better. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. And this prophecy is one that's still yet to be fulfilled. It wasn't fulfilled in its, in its completion, certainly when Israel come, came back from exile in Babylon. Number five, the prophets announced that this coming glorious kingdom will be set up in the last days. It's going to be in the last days that God sets up this kingdom. And He will set it up with the house of Jacob, and He will set it up in Jerusalem. If you would go to Ma- uh, Micah, Micah chapter 4. These uh, Old Testament prophets sometimes are not as familiar to get to, but Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Micah chapter 4. Look at verse 1. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord 
will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That nation that he dispersed, that he took care of in that dispersion, that he brought back to the land and promised that they would have a kingdom that was better than the one that they had in history, is the same people that in the last days Jesus will reign amongst and their city, all the nations of the earth, will stream to it to hear our Savior give His law, which is His Word. And then finally, the prophets describe Israel's future restoration as a permanent one, never to be interrupted in history again. You're in Micah, look at verse 7. Micah chapter 4, verse 7. I will make the lame a remnant and the outcasts a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them, Israel, in Mount Zion from now on and forever. No one will take the kingdom from them when Jesus reigns. So the coming kingdom's favored nation will be the Israel of history. And this kingdom, as envisioned by the Old Testament prophets, has not yet come. We have not seen it. It is not here. It is yet to come. Now, what will be... When the prophets looked at this kingdom, and we're only considering the Old Testament prophets now, when the Old Testament prophets looked at this kingdom, what were the characteristics that they saw that the Holy Spirit gave them revelation concerning? Well, the fundamental characteristics of this kingdom as envisioned by the Old Testament prophets picture a restored theocratic kingdom a restored theocratic kingdom which will be enhanced. It will have all of the aspects of the kingdom we talked about last week. It will have all of those aspects, and each one of those aspects will be enhanced. And we'll we'll go through them. Now, some have referred to this prophet-envisioned kingdom as not a theocracy, but as a Christocracy. And that's a proper way of looking at it. Because when this kingdom comes back, the ruler will be Christ. He will be the Messiah. The Messiah will rule upon this earth. Now, let's look at each one of these characteristics. First of all, the spiritual, which is the foundational characteristic of this kingdom. This is what the prophets foresee. Spiritual salvation will come from God, Isaiah tells us. Your point B, it will be affected by His grace. Zechariah 12. In all of its fullness, there will be regeneration. There will be justification. There will be the work of the Spirit. There will be repentance and forgiveness. All of the aspects of salvation. Will, and, and notice your point, your point D. The blessings of salvation will be centered in the King. Now, now if you would turn to Jeremiah for me. I, I want us to look at this one. Text. This is a significant text. This is a beautiful text. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 6. This is a beautiful text. It's a wonderful promise from the Lord. Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 6. 
in his days, Messiah's days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. That's the only way that man can ever be accepted before God is to have the righteousness of Christ. That's the only way that I will ever be accepted by God. I have no righteousness. I have no ability to stand before God in my own rights because I have none. My only hope is that the Lord will be my righteousness. That He will give me His righteousness. And that's exactly what the prophets envision. That Jesus Christ will be the righteousness of Israel. And this will extend to the whole world, your point E, bringing great joy to the whole world, your point F. And it will happen in the realm of sense experience, your point G. That is, it will be happen on this physical earth. There will also be a political aspect to this kingdom. There will be um, a realm and a ruler, if you will. And the politics of this kingdom will not be like the politics of this world now. It will be like a dream come true. Because the king of the world will be Jesus Christ. He will be the international authority. And, the, and He, the Lord, Isaiah says, will judge between the nations and render decisions for many peoples. Isaiah 2, verse 4. Is there a more perfect ruler? No. That will be a, that will be a, a day of great amazement. We don't even... We don't... We have a clue. We, we can envision it from what God says in the Scriptures, but we've never experienced anything like it will be like when He comes back. And He sets up His kingdom. And He is the ruler of it. He will have a capital. The world capital will be Jerusalem. The prophets call Jerusalem the center of the earth. The people there are the apple of God's eye. And Jesus Christ will reign from that capital. Remember, we read in Micah, for the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and the nations of the earth will not come to Washington, D.C. or Moscow or Beijing. They will go to Jerusalem to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. And that, that, is, that is amazing. And the Jew-Gentile problem will be solved when the natural branches are grafted back into the olive tree of, of salvation blessing in the Abrahamic covenant promise in Romans chapter 11. God at that time will bring all of Israel back to, to the land and He will heal the, um, the division between the northern tribes and the southern tribe. Ezekiel tells us that in Ezekiel 37, 21, and 22. And I will let you read that. And when this rupture is healed, God will begin to bless all the nations of the earth. And if you wouldn't mind turning to Zechariah for me and look at Zechariah chapter 8, verse 13. When that rupture is healed, God will start to bless all the nations of the earth through a united Israel and all the Gentile nations. 
If I were here, I'm a Gentile. When, when Israel is elevated to that position, I am going to rejoice. Those who have a, a heart for the Lord and the Messiah, they will rejoice. Notice Zechariah chapter 8, verse 13. It will come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, I will save you that you may become a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. And, and when God blesses all of the nations of the earth through Israel, all the nations will be glad and seek God. Look at verse 23 of, of Zechariah 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten, ten men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. What an amazing thing. And then political wrongs will be righted. Um, there are many wrongs that will be righted when Jesus Christ reigns. And He will judge between the nations. We, we said that. And will render many decisions for many peoples. The language barrier will be removed. Right now, language is a, is a tough barrier. Go to the United Nations and see how many interpreters are in the United Nations. It is amazing. I've been there one time. My wife and I have been there one time. And um, all the interpreters and all the things that could be misunderstood because of all of the different languages on this earth. In Zephaniah 3.9, there is an interesting promise. And let me read it for you. For then, for then, at that time, in the last days, when Jesus comes back, I will give to the peoples purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve Him shoulder to shoulder. Now, there's a difference of opinion on the interpretation of this verse, but certainly we, can, we, all, we all would agree that purified lips certainly means purified from sin. That all may call on the name of the Lord and serve Him shoulder to shoulder. But if they're purified from sin, and we don't have time to go back to, to the Tower of Babel and look at how this fits into the Tower of Babel, then perhaps they are purified from confusion. Because right now we have a confusion of languages. Perhaps at that time the Lord will unconfuse the languages. And everybody will be able to one, with one lip, with one tongue, glorify and worship Him. Religious aspect. In the kingdom, religious practice will permeate all forms of the government, of the organization of the government, uh, of the king. First of all, there will be a priest-king on, on the throne. Unheard of in Israel. Not allowed in the historical kingdom. Couldn't happen in the historical kingdom. Because, uh, because we're talking about a sinful human being. But in that day, it will happen. Because we're not talking about a sinful person. We're talking about the righteous and holy Jesus Christ. And if you would turn to Zechariah chapter 6. I don't know where you're at right now, but maybe you're in Zechariah. But Zechariah chapter 6, this is too important a verse not to look at. Uh, Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12. Then say to him, Zechariah 6, 12. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold a man whose name is Branch. That's our Savior. For he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yet it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, 
Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne and catch this phrase. Thus, he will be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace will be between the two offices. He will be a priest king. He will lead the worship of God, of himself. And Israel will be his religious ministers. He set them up. Remember last week we talked about them being a kingdom of priests? That they were to, they were to be the, um, the priests who would help the nations worship the Lord, and they failed dismally at it. God's not through with them. Because at this time, they will carry out His plan. Because He will have given them a new heart. And they will gladly be His, his priests during this time. If you would go to Isaiah, I hate, we have to, we have, these are too important. These verses are too important not to look at. Look at Isaiah chapter 61. Look at verse 6. So we can see what Israel is, what's designed for Israel, envisioned by the prophets. Isaiah chapter 61, look at verse 6. But you, Israel, this is during that time. And if you want to read two beautiful chapters of Isaiah, in Isaiah of this time, read Isaiah chapter 60 and read Isaiah chapter 61. They are beautiful in terms of describing this coming kingdom. But you, Israel, will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations, Gentiles, and in their riches you will boast. Israel is going to be a priest. They're going to be priests during that time, and they're going to be facilitating the worship of the king. They're going to do their job that God had designed for them. And Jerusalem will be the religious center. It will be rebuilt and enlarged. It will be magnificent in its beauty. And all the nations of the earth, as we read in Micah, will stream to it. For, for the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord will go from, forth from Jerusalem. And the nations, Zechariah tells us, will come to worship the king every year, the Lord of hosts. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. And religious freedom will be eliminated. If true religion, that is the external worship of God, is ideal for man, true religion, and it is. And if there is only one really true religion, and there is, then the only thing that is good for mankind is to have freedom to worship only that one true God and not be judged like Isaiah chapter 45 that we read tonight. The future temple, the religious house of worship. While I'm talking, if you would turn to Ezekiel chapter 43. We have to look at this text too. Ezekiel chapter 43. Ezekiel describes the future temple in Ezekiel 40 through 48 in those chapters. And from these, te- from these chapters, we learn several things about this future temple. No temple fitting the description of Ezekiel has ever been built. It's yet to be built. And this temple belongs, Ezekiel's temple belongs to the Messianic kingdom, the coming kingdom, if you will, on earth. And when Jesus rebuilds this temple, the Shekinah glory comes back to it. And Ezekiel sees it. 
Ezekiel chapter 43, look at verse 1. Then, because he saw it leaving, right? Now God gives him a vision of it coming back. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east. Remember, we, t- we say he's going to come back through the eastern gate. This is where we, we get this from. And his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when he came to destroy the city. And the visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Chebar, and I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate facing toward the east. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Now, look at verse 6. Then I heard one speaking to me from the house while a man was standing beside me. He said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever. And the house of Israel will not again defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings by their harlotry and by the corpses of their kings when they die. Nothing has ever been like this. This is coming. This is coming. And this is what the prophets envision. And it is connected in history to that nation. And then finally, in terms of religious expression, Ezekiel talks about animal sacrifices in Ezekiel chapter 40 through verse 48. And I think there will be animal sacrifices during this kingdom. They will not be the sacrifices for salvation. That that sacrifice has been made once and for all by our Savior. But I think the animal sacrifices will have two, at least two different purposes. One, they will point back in remembrance as a memorial to what Jesus did. And secondly, there will be people who are ministers and priests of the Lord who will still be in non-glorified bodies with an Adamic sin nature, and they will do things in their work in Jerusalem that they will need theocratic cleansing. And so I, I think that those sacrifices are to provide them cleansing for those who have offended the theocratic state so that they can continue to serve uh, the Lord in the temple area and in the city. We don't have time to pursue that. But the fourth aspect is a socioeconomic aspect. We noticed that last week in terms of the historical kingdom, but notice this about the the socioeconomic aspect. Military conflict will end. It will end. There will be no military conflict during the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. A psalmist puts it this way. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Military, there will be no need for West Point or Naval Academy because Micah tells us, and never again will they train for war. He won't allow it. They won't train for war. World peace will dominate the earth. Not until then. But when he comes back, world peace will dominate the earth because he is called the Prince of Peace. And Isaiah says there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Social justice will prevail. Not the social justice of socialism that we hear talked about today, 
But the social justice is implemented by the king where he will take care of those who are needy, where he will protect the property and labor rights of people. In Isaiah 65:21, we are told they will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. He will protect all of that. There will be true social justice. And a true moral economy will be openly demonstrated. And you can look at those texts. Physical benefits. There will be beneficial climate changes. Mark Twain said that everybody talks about the weather, but no one ever does anything about it. We always talk about it, but we never do anything about it. Well, we can't do anything about it. It's hard enough to predict, let alone control. But it's in the control of God. It is His servant. And it is, it is so true when Jesus sits on this earth in the center of the earth in Jerusalem that He will control the weather for the benefit of His kingdom and His subjects. And there will be geological changes upon this earth that will go hand in hand with the, uh, with the uh, beneficial climate changes. And He will... Many times, geological changes affect the weather. Well, he will use them to affect the weather for the, be- for the better. And as the world's population increases from the Battle of Armageddon, where it has been decimated, thousand years of reign of peace, and there's going to be a plethora of people on this earth, and there's going to have to be food produced in areas that food's not produced in now to feed all the population of the earth, and there will be the most precious resource to do that Water will be available everywhere. The prophets say that the rain will come exactly as it should come. To There won't be any famines. And that water will be in places where you would never expect water. Isaiah 41.18 I will open rivers on the bare heights and springs in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water. And the dry land, fountains of water. And that will lead to an increased fertility and productivity of the soil so that the wilderness of thorns and briars, Isaiah 32, will become a fertile field. And the productivity of the earth will be such, um, so enhanced that Amos puts it this way. Behold, days are coming, Amos 9.13 declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper. You'll be plowing, and all of a sudden, here's people reaping. And you'll be planting vineyards, when the, and, and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. They'll be sowing the seed for the grapevines, and they'll be, they'll be taking the grapes off. I mean, the, the food will be abundant. There will be nobody that will have to go to bed hungry. Not during the reign of our king. Not during his reign. And there will be beneficial changes in the animal world. I hate snakes. Do you, like, do you hate snakes? I, I hate snakes. I don't like snakes. And when I go to Africa, I'm always looking at the ground like this. I'm, I walk like this to see if there's snakes. Isaiah says that the nursing child will play by the hole of a cobra. Now, if I were here, I don't know if I'd let my child do that, but they'll be able to do that. 
Because the animals won't hurt the children. Not during that time. The, the lion will lie down with the lamb. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 8. Physical deformity will be mitigated. The prophets envision a new day for, human pop, for the human top population on this earth in terms of disease and deformity. Isaiah 35, verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. And God will control disease. He will control disease. So Isaiah 33, 24 says, And no resident of Jerusalem will say, I am sick. And how long are you going to live? Isaiah 65:22b says, how long will the people that are here upon this earth live? Isaiah 65:22 says, for as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. How long does a tree live? A thousand years? Yeah. That's the length of life. Amazing. It used to be that way, right? I mean, it almost was. Methuselah almost made it, right? He almost made it to a thousand years. But these people will. That's amazing. And then it will be freedom from ordinary hazards. Jesus will be in control. He will take care of the sheep. And we could look at more text there. But moral. Moral values will be readjusted. There's moral confusion today, but none then. None then. Moral values will be based on an objective standard. The Word of the Lord will come forth from Jerusalem. That's the standard. And moral values will be appraised accurately on that standard. No longer, Isaiah says, Isaiah 32.5, no longer will the fool be called noble or the rogue be spoken of as generous. Right now, you get these rogues in political office and they're rogues and they give a thousand dollars here or whatever and we say, oh wow, they're generous. Jesus won't do that. When He reigns, He will know exactly the heart of His people and He will call it as it is. He will call it as it is. The rogue will not be called generous. The fool will not be called noble. Not during His reign. And moral value of truth will be exalted to its proper place. In fact, the world will say of Jerusalem, Zechariah 8.3, it will be called the city of truth. No lies. Only truth. And then there will, the retribution for wrongdoing will extend only to the individual. If you would turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. We'll just take a look at this text. Jeremiah 31, verse 29. May I go to 8? Is that all right? Okay. Jeremiah chapter 31. Look at verse 29. In those days, they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. The fathers go out and sin and it affects the children. Well, it does, doesn't it? It does. But not during this time. Notice verse 30. But everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge, not his children. Jesus will, will adjudicate the matter. 
and he will deal with it fairly. Now, let's think now. Think last week, historical kingdom, and let's compare this kingdom that's envisioned by the prophets with this historical kingdom, okay? In summary for this part. No one will enter the spiritual foundational aspect. No one will enter the kingdom as envisioned by the prophets unless they repent of their sins and find righteousness provided for them by the king, the Lord, our righteousness. As the Lord puts it, he will put his law within them and write it on their heart. In other words, he will circumcise their heart. He will save them. And this is an enhancement of the historical kingdom. No one will enter the kingdom of the coming Lord unless they're born from above. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. But in the historical kingdom, that wasn't so. People entered that kingdom and they were unsaved. Most of them, many of them. The political aspect. Politics will not be done as usual in the kingdom envisioned by the Old Testament prophets. The international authority will be the Messiah. His capital will be Jerusalem, the center of the earth. He will heal Israel's uh, division. He will judge righteously between the nations and they will understand his communication. Certainly an enhancement of the historical kingdom. No ruler has ever ruled like this in the historical kingdom. The religious aspect. Religion will be used in the kingdom envisioned by the prophets to facilitate worship of the true God. The king will be the great high priest. Israel will faithfully serve as his ministers. Jerusalem will be the religious center of the world with the religious house that will be the house of prayer for all nations. Purity and truth will flow through the religious practice. And that certainly didn't happen in the historical kingdom. The priests and the rulers corrupted the worship of God. It will not be like that then. The socioeconomic aspect. The perfect king who has perfect moral strength and perfect ability, will keep peace and care for the needy. That didn't happen in Israel's historical kingdom. The physical aspect. The physical effects of the prophetic kingdom will benefit the whole earth. Rain, water, abundant, animals not harming, physical deformity and disease will be mitigated. The king will protect his people. This is an enhancement of the historical kingdom. Remember I said last week that if Israel had obeyed the law, life for them would have been so good. But they didn't obey the law. But He will write the law on their hearts. On their hearts. And they will obey Him. And life will be so good for them. The moral aspect. The perfect king will establish his laws and appraise all men according to them in truth. This is an enhancement of the historical kingdom. While the laws of the historical kingdom were pure, they were God's laws, they were pure and holy and right. Men didn't obey them. But this king will. This king will. And what is the difference then? Why is it so much better, this kingdom that's coming, than the kingdom that was in history? It all boils down to the ruler, right? It all boils down to the ruler, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember, we are going to be joint heirs with Him. We are going to inherit what He inherits. Do we live like that now? Do I live like that now? This truth that we're learning now should set a blaze in our hearts to love our Savior and to seek His honor and His glory in our daily lives 
in everything that we do and think and say. Now, one final point. I won't get through it all tonight, but we'll, we'll pick it up next week. We have about five minutes. I'll, I'll let you out at eight. And that is the establishment of this kingdom. The prophets had a lot to say about its characteristics, but they had a lot to say about its establishment. They had so much to say that we have to be careful in how we handle it. And so I think McLean had a good way of hand looking at it, and that was in his book, The Greatness of the Kingdom, was to put it into four buckets, one being before the great and terrible... And terrible aspect of the day of the Lord. He, he organized it around the day of the Lord. And if you look at the Old Testament prophets, that's again and again a theme there. And that day will start with the rapture and it will go all the way through the millennium. And so we can look at events that will happen before the, the, the great tribulation. Let's put it that way. Then we can look at the great tribulation, what we would call penal events, penalty events. We'll have preparatory events before the Great Tribulation. The last half, then we'll have the last half of the Tribulation, which we will call the penal events, the Great Tribulation. And then there will be the transition to the blazing light of the Millennial Kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we'll call that the dawn, the transition. And then we'll go into the blazing light and we'll, we'll see how He forms the Kingdom according to the Old Testament prophets. And we could look at five, six, seven events in each one of these buckets. But we'll look at one, one event. Probably we'll only get through the first one tonight. One event for each bucket. So, the first bucket is the preparatory phase, if you will. And if you would go to Daniel chapter 7 and look at verse 9. Daniel chapter 7 Look at verse 9. Because this reveals the trigger event. When does this kingdom begin? We won't know. We don't know. We won't be... Well, let me put it this way. Uh, I don't want to put it that way. We don't... It will happen in heaven. Let me put it that way. It will happen in heaven. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. God will set up a court of judgment in heaven. I kept looking until thrones were set up, Daniel says. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. Sounds like Ezekiel, right? A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat. And the books were opened. The scene is unquestionably judicial in character. And it happens in heaven, not upon this earth. The supreme judge takes his seat, the ancient of days. And this heavenly court convenes at the end of the time of the Gentiles when the little horn is coming to power. Look at verse 8. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. This is the Antichrist. So when the Antichrist rises to power, it's at that time that God says, mm, 
It's over. It's over. I'm going to give you my sentence. I'm going to give you my verdict. Look at verse 13. Here's his verdict. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. There's God's verdict. When the little horn comes to power, God will set his court and he will give his son the kingdom. Read Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. And that's exactly what Daniel is seeing in Daniel chapter 7. Next week, Lord willing, we will go on and note that in the second phase, in the great penalty phase, the great tribulation, God will punish the nation of Israel like it has never been punished before. And He will use Antichrist to do it. Then when we get to the dawn... He will come back and He will defeat Antichrist. And then in the formative stage, we will find that at that time, all Israel, all Israel will repent and their hearts will be changed and Christ will set up His kingdom.